0: Hey, it's Nick. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. This episode aired on November 30th, 2020 on WPRK, Warner Park, Florida. The best college radio station there is or ever will be, in my humble opinion. Does that sound humble? It kind of is. On this episode, you're going to hear from some amazing people. I'm on there as well. But Jim Inziello is going to talk about 3D printing. On the other side of that, so 3D printing you create things, Zach Prusak is gonna talk about fire and how fire is necessary to keep things growing. Elliot Hitlis not only talks about food, but the philosophy behind it and the creation of it. And I would encourage you to go listen to and subscribe to his podcast, Offcuts. And then speaking of pob- 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 podcasts, Bobcasts, speaking of Bobcasts, Bob And I do a podcast called Your Daily Dose with Bob and Nick. I included an episode of that on here so you can take a listen to it. Go to withbobandnick.com or subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Enjoy the show. Good morning. You're listening to a certain degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. My name is Nick Jorgidio. Normally, a certain degree, this radio show, airs from 7 to 9 a.m. on WPRK, live, with a special guest or guests. Who are these guests, you ask? Did you ask that? They are amazing people from around the Orlando area who are doing neat things. We're not live in the studio right now, so I am pulling some of the neatness from past episodes. And one of those neat things is 3D printing. I love it, I'm a big fan of it, I do it all the time, but I'm nowhere near the level of artists and inventors like Jim and Zello. From a May 2018 episode, we really, really, really geek out on 3D printing. It's, it's a little nerdy, so just be aware. But first, we talk about whether Jim was going to go right into college out of high school.
1: I was I was on that track of uh, gotta get the SAT and all that stuff. Um, the testing was not as horrible as it currently is, but uh, yeah, I definitely knew I needed to go to. Well, I I had was on Florida prepaid, so it was yep. already faded that I have uh, to select You're pretty much something. going. Yeah, uh, but I was very confused as what I wanted to do. I, I was an accounting major uh, for my first two years. That in, sounds in like a
0: really good fit for you.
1: Oh, from yeah. knowing what
0: I know about you.
1: Yeah, my mom found me when I was uh, on vacation. I was she found me like asleep in my accounting book with like drool on the page because that's basically my normal like default for accounting
0: (laughs) Uh, so eventually you got to 3d modeling Mm -hmm. Uh, and I want to dig into that but I want to skip ahead a little bit because what that allowed you to do was in a way prepare for the I'm going to call it the 3d printing movement but there's a lot of different names Mm -hmm. so additive manufacturing, but right. what, what ended up happening is all these patents that were around uh, went away. Yep. Uh, they came due, and then the hobbyists got into it. Mm-hmm. And right now there are probably 8,000 types of 3D <laughs> printers that you can get out there. Yeah. And there's a lot of different kinds, and I don't want to bog uh, us down with too right. many details, yeah, but, a but a the idea detailer. is that you put plastic or some other substance mm-hmm. in, and you put in a design and something comes out. Right. And it's amazing. Yeah.
1: No, no. It, it, I, well, actually, in Tron, uh, they, they zap an orange uh, with a laser, and then they recompile that uh, out of cubes, the little tiny voxels. That's true. In, yeah. in this 1980s movie, you know, it was all hand-done, you know, hand-drawn sure, at sure. the time. But, um, yeah, that, that blew my mind. I was like, yes, you could put it in the computer. You could right. take it out of the computer. And, and remarkably enough, this
0: was started in the 80s. Yes. So a version of this was started in so the 80s. Actually,
1: I just met with um, Scott Crump of uh, Stratasys about two weeks ago, and he invented FTM uh, 3D printing. He and his wife, actually, uh, his wife, Lisa, and he actually started Stratasys in 1986, I wow. think. Wow.
0: And FTM is? Uh, a
1: fused deposition modeling. Um, it's It's basically you put the filament in and it melts it and you get a 3D print out of it. Right.
0: And then uh, just because I was learning about this a little bit over the weekend, I'm doing some 3D printing, but much at a much uh, more beginner level mm-hmm. than what you do uh, is voxel is essentially the 3D version of a pixel. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. And that's new. That's that's not been there is nobody out there teaching uh, design for voxel printing. Right. It's so, a new thing.
0: Um, and I don't know how much you want to share about something like that. I'm Insanely curious about it because I do the 3D printing stuff. I'll and try to make it as interesting as I can. I love, well, but the idea <laughs> is that you can, uh, if you can, like for a pixel, I think we all kind of understand DPI, hmm. uh, DPI, yeah, DPI and yeah. stuff like that. Right. Because we've had to go through that at some point. Somebody's needed. <laughs> A vector-based image. Yeah. You know, what? No. What? Is that <laughs> what? EPS? Why did they give is it to us as a PDF? bitmap? No. Yeah. Here, here, it's in a word document. No. Is that okay? Oh, so, God, because yeah. of the last twenty years, we mm-hmm. all understand a little bit more about that. Yep. But that's essentially what we're now learning. It's
1: basically, it's like a stack of images. So you, right. So the best way to describe it, and actually, there's a, a Shapeways is a company that does 3D uh, printing for you. So you upload your model to them, and they can print it out for you as a service bureau. Right. And then they'll. And they send can print it out.
0: it out in pretty much any. Oh. Sort oh A lot of of different materials, materials, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, so basically what they're doing is taking their entire database, which was all these um, polygons, and they're converting it into voxels because it actually saves space. And so what a voxel, basically, uh, the, the voxel format that they've developed is a series of PNGs, which are just textures. Right. And there's a header file at the top that says these colors mean this material. That's it.
0: Oh, uh, okay. So polygons would have been what you design in as a 3D modeler. Course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that'll give it, eventually you have to add a well, polygons. There's like a looks, shell, everything, right. like
1: it, it, basically all video games, you have like a, a polygon with a texture on right. it, as my old boss Bob would say. <laughs> it's just a polygon with textures on it. I'm like, come on, that's but more complicated. As,
0: yeah, I remember as the video game <laughs> systems came out, there was all this talk about how many polygons it could yeah, handle and all yeah. that, because that would I- inevitably talk about the the resolution. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that was how it translated to 3D modeling. That was how it translated to 3D printing. Yep. But now they're like, well, maybe that's not as efficient as it could be. Yeah. 3D well it's not just
1: efficiency there's actually a lot more complexity that you can you can put into a 3d print that's a voxel based print um so basically uh to to you gotta, you gotta rip it down to like the basics so like regular 3d printing you, you gotta shape a model of, of a, and it's a shell like right. say it's an orange and you're drawing lines from the bottom of the orange all the way up to the top of the orange like in little slices yep and that's telling the machine tool path to go, OK, X, Y, X, Y, move around, move around and then move in move Z, up. move up and yeah. Z and just keep doing one that. Step, step up, step, go step around
0: step. one step up. It's go really
1: around. simple. It's actually very similar to old uh, pottery, um, the old coil snake pottery. Oh, sure. that They make yeah, in yeah. school. Yeah, it's very similar to that. And actually, I think that's why uh, Scott and Lisa Crump uh, created 3D printing. They were making a toy for their kid. And and that's took, how it came about. They, yeah, they, they, they had a frying pan and and a hot glue gun, and I think he might have put some stepper motors that controlled it, <laughs> and that was the first 3D printer, and he made it uh, for as, like, a toy. But it was basically from um, the old uh, routing machines. Where oh, it,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the CAD routing machine, the yeah.
1: CNC. So, yeah, all he did was just basically put a little step up in the so Z. So instead of
0: cutting it out of wood, it was it's, going up. Yeah, it was just
1: going up and spewing exuding, out like, yeah. stuff. So, yeah, uh, so voxel printing is the next step after that, and and that's why I'm, I'm really excited about it because basically you can put you you can put so much detail and things together on a molecular level. Okay, so we we're talking like chemically right now. We can add things to each other, and we can make we can pour it, we can roll it out, and mm-hmm. stamp it. Uh, that that type of manufacturing has been going on for hundred you know like hundred years. And this new type of manufacturing is going to totally be different. Instead of every, every car being exactly the same, uh, you'll be able to customize it and put a lot less um, material in it but get a lot more strength uh, for the amount of material that you're using because uh, you can put internal structures like fractals and that kind of thing inside the object to give it. So it's like it's basically like, oh, i got a concrete bridge, maybe some reinforcing bars in it, or I've got a steel bridge That's got all these like rebar and and, then, not rebar, but like big tensioning types things. So you could put all that tensioning type stuff, like tensegrity as Buckminster Fuller called it, and and you could put that inside your object and build it in there. And that's just the beginning of just the structures of of the things. You could put complicated, um, say, biomimetic, okay, now I'm going crazy here. But biomimetic stuff like muscles and, and things inside your object. So we're talking Westworld, essentially. Awesome. And that's well, how it, and we will be talking guest world. We will get that with voxel printing
0: next hour as well. Um, can can I take this and try to make it understandable for me specifically so let's say in simple 3D printing with infill for example, yeah. so you can print something out and you can print it out solid mm-hmm. and the infill is 100%. Right. Uh, you could make the infill zero and it's a it's a hollow structure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But then there are a number of different things you can do on the inside of it. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could do a cross section. You could do axes. Yeah. You could do honeycombs. Yeah, those look cool. And the idea is that it'll give it each way will give it a little bit of a different structure but also a little bit of different cost and time frame. Mm-hmm. Like a solid piece is going to take the longest it's going to cost the most. Right. So is that, just as a simple analogy, is that, that a little bit like what you're talking that's about?
1: That's sort of like training wheels for what I'm talking
0: about. Perfect. That's much. exactly what I need. Yeah, yeah. Not a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're pretty good. Jim in the Yellow on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree, and my name is Nick Jurgutio. You can learn more about everything Jim is up to on Instagram. His handle is Jim Zello, Z E L L O. A lot of 3D printing is an additive manufacturing process. You start with a blank area, almost like a blank sheet of paper. The plastic melts, the printer head moves, and you're creating something new where there was once nothing. Subtractive manufacturing is different, you're cutting pieces away like. Chiseling a statue from a giant piece of marble. Sometimes, those subtractive processes can lead to new growth, as I learned from Zach Prusak, who was the Florida fire manager for the Nature Conservancy.
2: Yeah, the process of fire. I mean, the world itself—this big ball in space that we're on—is just a big static ball. Wait, it's round. Well, now you know the jury. Spoiler. Spoiler. Alert I I don't want to shock the audience which is why I'm glad I'm here early the earth is round Okay, just to just okay now I haven't seen that movie yet. Well, it's a documentary on History (laughs) Channel. No, actually it's not So if you think of the world as a big static ball We've always had lots of lightning smacking the world then people came along and people like to light fire I know I did growing up in Daytona. I kind of lit the beach on fire when I was seven That's uh, I think I'm safe to say that now Mm -hmm. and so You've had millions of years of lightning, you've had hundreds of thousands of years of people lighting fire, so essentially the plants and animals on this big ball have adapted over time to this process of fire, and it's a very restorative, revitalizing, recycling process where nutrients are broken down by fire, put into the ground, helping those same plants that the fire burned regrow, and then the animals depend on them. It's a very, very cool circle of fire. Well, and we live in Florida, everything grows all the time. Yes. There's no
0: downtime. No. Uh, And we do have droughts on occasion, so we're going to have the fires.
2: So what you're doing in many cases is preventing them from being worse. Yeah, that's true. So it's a double whammy in addition to helping things grow and making sure that plants and animals thrive and maintain a healthy ecosystem, it also reduces the intensity of wildfires because things will burn. These plants, they grow their own matches. They will catch fire. And so we we really do help both nature and people by lighting these controlled fires. What I think is interesting about it, so I learned a lot this
0: week about the controlled fires, and I think that's one of your goals is to teach people about it. So yes. not to necessarily fear it. If you see smoke out there, it might be a controlled burn. Uh, and to uh, to, you know, get behind this sort of idea of it. And we'll talk about volunteer opportunities and other ways people can support uh, the Nature Conservancy and what you do. But a couple of things that I learned was uh, a lot of the animals, when they're taking refuge, uh, go
2: into the gopher tortoise uh, holes. Yeah, you, which I think man, cool. you did study over the weekend.
0: Wow. I did a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I thought, it, well, I thought it was really neat. So you start reading cool. this stuff. You start doing the research. And, you know, hopefully when I have a guest in, I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Where, you do this and this and this. Uh, but then I thought about, um, and I wanted to ask you about this,
2: what about the invasive species?
0: Do you sometimes do burns to try to get rid of some of them?
2: Yeah, and here's the here's the funny thing about some of these invasive uh, uh, plants like grass. They actually came from a fire-dependent place, and they actually love fire. So some of these invasive plants actually love fire more than our native plants, and so we have to have a combination of herbicide and spray some of the plants and then burn them to really push them back. So, yeah, we've got to utilize fire to try to keep them at bay, even the ones that like fire. Hmm. But, yeah, to get to your uh, thing about the gopher tortoise, it's really cool. This animal digs these burrows underground, and all these animals go and use those burrows when a fire passes by. And they could be animals that typically eat each other, but they, like, have this little truce while they're in the burrow. Hey, let's all be cool while the fire's going by. All right, cool, fire's passed. Let's all leave. So it's their version of a hurricane party. It's their version of a hurricane party. Now I now we do have these little gopher tortoise burrow cams that go in those burrows. We haven't seen drinks passed out or any kind of appetizers during the party. We don't know that actually is a big mystery. <laughs> it sounds like it. Also, where does that yeti go that we were talking about earlier? Well, the yeti. What they do is they typically have a hotel room and then they uh, just, okay. yeah they actually leave. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: I've been mistaken for a Yeti once or
2: twice. Well, I was going to say, thanks for uh, cutting your beard too, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, shorten my beard as a present for my mom. My mom doesn't like my beard. Good morning. My name is Nick Churgoodio, and you are listening to A Certain Degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was Zach Prusak, the Florida Fire Manager for the Nature Conservancy, from a December 2016 interview. Time does fly. You can learn more about Zach and keep up with everything that he's got going on on Instagram. His handle is at fireantman7, the number seven, not the spelled out seven, which would be the word seven, I guess I could have said. There. Like many of my guests, Zach is amazing and full of esoteric knowledge. If you would like to listen to that full interview or any of the interviews I am lucky enough to conduct, please visit to a speaking of amazing and full of esoteric knowledge from his second appearance on to a certain degree here's elliot hillis of orlando meats doing something he loves besides cooking going on a tangent
3: a digression if you'll indulge me of course um, hunter s thompson Hunter S. Thompson uh back in the day used to get uh his typewriter out and he would type Hemingway like literally book to one side he would type page after page letter by letter exactly what Hemingway wrote. People would ask him like why are you doing this? And he'd say I want to feel what it's like to write like Hemingway wrote, to know what the strokes are like, the movements and whatever. And um I found that parallel in my life when I was first started cooking, I was cooking other people's yeah, books, you yep. know. You look at what they had produced and you learn their methods, and hopefully you learn directly from that person. That's the best way. To Someone that created a dish, you're learning that dish from them. And and you learn how they write, so to speak. And then through their voice, your own voice emerges because you learn the skills from them, and the, the thing that makes you you in the milieu um, emerges eventually once you're good enough. Same thing with playing guitar. You learn the scales. You learn... Other people's tunes and your, their styles, and then your style emerges if you practice hard enough. I think most people become arrested in that I've learned other people's styles moment, and they're just right. done. They never learn to create in and of themselves, and the voice that is theirs, and maybe they don't have one, and that's fine. Um, but I think that those the people that do have an emergence of a voice, it's it's incumbent upon us to use it. If you have it, you should, you know, give it a shot
0: one put yourself out there and potentially fail fail.
3: but it's a a lot like um, famously Scratch do you remember Scratch no Winter Park right down the street where Tin and Tacos going into a little blue donut company maybe that space is a good example of being put out there Scratch was amazing Scratch was a very Mm. very very good restaurant Dustin and um, Ashley and then um, Ashley's sister and a couple of people doesn't matter Um, but they were amazing food Whatever, Um, busy all the time, but they, on one side, incredibly talented, doing great stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, really, really delicious food in this kooky environment that, you know, if you tried to like, if you looked at it during the day, it'd probably be gross, but at night, it was like, you know, awesome, and um, really talented cooks went through there, and everybody in the service industry loved going there. It was open until 2 o'clock in the morning, (laughs) and so they were producing really good stuff, and they put themselves out there, and they were vulnerable, and they were rewarded for it, but they were also disorganized lunatics. So it didn't last, but they tried and they did a cool thing. It was a cool moment in time to the point where years later, I'm still talking about it. Yeah. You know? Um, And then little blue donut goes into the same space and they made donuts. And now they're gone. Um, The, the question is, is, is anyone going to remember? And I don't mean, I'm not putting, I'm not being mean to little blue donuts on purpose. But the question is, is, like, is Little Blue Donuts putting themselves out there in a way that's impactful in a craft or artistic standpoint that it will matter to anybody years later? That space to me will always be Scratch's Scratch. old kitchen. Yeah. Um, you know? And then now Tin and Taco is going in there. Um, so, I, I, you know, Tin and Taco is good. So <laughs> maybe Little it'll blue be done, It's great. Is it?
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I actually used to work right next to it. I so yeah. used to go there all the time. I guess where you're going with that is what was the innovative factor? What were the doing that, wasn't, what are well, they that doing? wasn't just beyond yeah. the donuts? So cool. they had really good coffee. They had really good donuts. But what else is there? Okay, so let's do the
3: coffee thing because that, that works really well. So like Lineage.
0: I don't know if you know those dudes, Ryan and Jared, right? So one of the I think one of the best episodes I've listened to of Off Cuts is with Ryan. With Ryan. Yeah, he's an amazing man. Well, and also because... I was learning about the process of where the coffee comes from and the coffee bean and mm-hmm. all of that. Like, but, I had no idea. So any that's of that the was... that's the craft side where yeah. he knows
3: his science, he knows the methodology and stuff. But if you look into his amazingly blue eyes when he's talking about it and how excited he gets and the the vulnerability of him giving everything over to this this moment of coffee and his understanding, he is a part of coffee, and coffee is an indelible part of him, and that vulnerability, that conversation translates into their work in a way that, I, I have a lineage tattoo, like, that in a way that that coffee is better for them having existed and the question of of the vulnerability and of, of arts and, and of uh, craft work is when you're doing something, will that, is is the thing you're doing better for you having done it, or is this just a thing that you're putting out in the world and it has no uh, you're not
0: doing anything why well, bother? It, well, I feel like though that's that's a lot of pressure though
3: That right? is a huge amount of pressure
0: yeah yeah but good if you're just good so on <laughs> yes. the one hand let me just uh, two other op- two other situations there right. on the other one well, on the one hand, if you're just trying to go out and have a business and there's nothing more to it than you're delivering sandwiches then then have a then have a dry cleaning business man (laughs) why not why but i why not sandwiches because why if you're gonna bother to do something do it with purpose okay but what if uh, on the other side of that if i'm just not necessarily dipping my toes i enjoy doing this one thing Mm -hmm. but i'm not going to do it any more than this do you mean on an amateur level or yeah on an amateur level whether it's podcasting or something else like that yeah sure fine so that's okay, and but maybe, it's a, and maybe, a professional And maybe
3: to that end, you decide that, oh, Sam from Nearby Naturals. And this is a local radio show, so I can mention all these guys. Yeah. Sam from Nearby Naturals and uh, Soroya, also Nearby Naturals. Common law, marriage, I don't know what their deal is. They're very cute. Um, so they used to have a pop-up called Gastromancer. And if you talk to Sam, he, what happened to Gastromancer? He doesn't like food to the degree that it takes to cook food constantly. But he's very, very talented at mushrooms. So he went through his life cycle, you know. he I actually met him when he was a young cook at Chocos, and uh, he met Soroya there. And um, so they went on, they traveled the world, and they, they started Gastromancer, and they made food, and they gave up because it sucks to cook and not be passionate about it. And they did their own thing, and now they're producing mushrooms because they couldn't find mushrooms. And now they're the best mushroom producer as far in in Florida, I don't probably more probably a broader reach, but I don't know. You know, I can speak to that that there's nobody else producing mushrooms like his and hers in Florida. So boom, he found the thing that he's really good at, and he put it out there. He you know he probably put himself in debt buying the the equipment and the and sure. whatever. He sleepless nights fawning over these little oyster mushrooms, and whatever. that's an amazing and direct comparison. Ryan from Lineage and. um you know uh there's there's a dozen of us in Orlando that have really just put it out there like lunatics and it's it's paid off more for others in some ways and it, uh Steve from Gideon's yeah he developed this cookie this one Singular, and I, I hesitate to call it a cookie because it's it, it something different more in every way yeah. about it. It's yeah. a revolution in cookie technology or whatever. It's a different, it's a the epoch of cookies has changed. You know, I mean,
0: cookies a, were the same for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, the event horizon of Steve, Steve, came, Steve along. came along,
3: and then look, he <laughs> messed up the game for everybody. Yeah, so again, this dude, and if you listen to his story, he was on the show. Uh, he was vulnerable. He, he said, yeah. "Try these cookies. Try these cookies to all his friends, family. Blah blah." blah. He kept refining it, the, and then until it it's ready to be released into the wild, and he releases the wild, and look at what happened. They do a thousand cookies a day out of out of uh, East End East Market. End Market. Yeah. A thousand. Eat a thousand grains of rice. Like that's a huge number of anything, right? Um,
0: probably not rice. You're
3: probably okay eating a thousand. Grains I, of rice. I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I went, I went too
0: too hard on that comparison. I'm Nick You, You're listening to a certain degree. As it turns out, 1,000 grains of rice weigh 23 grams because the internet has asked and answered every question that has ever been or ever will be. Now, do I know if 23 grams is a lot? How many grams in a pound? I have no concept of weight and the measurement therein. But I do know you can find out more about Elliot all over the place, but specifically on Instagram, at saltforge, at Orlando Meats. And please subscribe to his podcast, which is called Offcuts. Next up in this episode, another two-time guest, not a two-timing guest, but a guest who's been on two times, Bob Codges. Bob and I do another podcast called Your Daily Dose with Bob and Nick where we ask each other interesting questions and see what the other person thinks. Hopefully some of these questions start conversations for our listeners as well. Like this one from our 200th episode. What is the best meal you've had based on a particular situation? So it's not just the food, right? It's because you're with these friends or you're in this particular city or something just happened. This event just happened in your life.
4: Wow. That's an interesting question. I have to think about that for a second.
0: So I'll tell you mine. Please. It was in New Orleans. We were there for uh, my wife's birthday. I took her there and I surprised her with a bunch of her friends before a lot of other people got there. Uh, Two of our mutual friends were there and we went out to dinner to Giacomo's, which is a fairly famous New Orleans establishment. Hadn't eaten there before. Yeah. I heard of them actually. I've heard of them. Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic. So we had like this bizarre, it was a savory cheesecake with like alligator and shrimp in it. And I ordered, everyone else ordered fish, cause you're in New Orleans, you order fish. But they had this bizarre menu special. It was pork chops stuffed with ground beef and shrimp. Mm-hmm. So I always think of it as mm-hmm. like the Noah's Ark of food <laughs> because I want pork chops stuffed with two of every animal. Right. <laughs> That's basically what I felt like I ordered. I love it. And I won that night in terms of like the best meal on the, pl- on the table. Because the fish were fantastic. Everything else was really good. But that one, everyone else had to try it, and everybody else was mad that they didn't get it. I love it. But then not only that, so we were there, this was probably 2007, so there was some sort of um, opening at the uh, World War II Museum there. They have a big World War II Museum because yeah. that's where they created the boats that um, uh, stormed the beaches at Normandy, I think. Ah, the Lutz. Right yeah. Yeah. I think that it's one of those yeah, yeah. types of vehicles, is there? So they had the cast of Band of Brothers come in for that. So we met Ron Livingston, the guy from uh, Office Space.
4: Wow, yeah, <laughs> that's very and then cool. a couple of the
0: other guys. So it was like this whole like just good food, good friends, being away from home, being out in this incredible city that you know we appreciated because we'd been there multiple times. Meeting this guy This famous guy From Office Space Which is of course This
4: great movie And it was It just made the meal That much better That's incredible That's beautiful And guess what I think food tastes better When you enjoy the company That you're with Oh 100% I am Okay Probably the most recent Example I could offer you Is my last experience Working with corporate Uber In San Francisco The last (laughs) Cooper Cooper. And they are They're a very cool Interesting group I'm working with their Top internal auditing team and uh, they invited me to go out the last night. Usually, I decline when my clients invite me out, but I really enjoyed spending time with them. They were a unique, diverse, fun crowd, and they were taking me to a restaurant that everybody loved. And it was a restaurant that specializes in Chinese dumplings. Oh, and I have to tell you something, we had uh, this lady, Michelle, who I think was actually working out of Mexico uh, for Uber at the time, but she was in for this meeting, and she ordered for us. She is a she is a millennial Asian woman who knows dumplings. She brought so much food onto this table, and it just kept coming. And I I wasn't that into dumplings, but I'm salivating now remembering it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they brought us these um uh, these soup dumplings. Have you ever done a yes. soup dumpling? Oh, well, I've seen them on TV, but yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking you're about. To, you supposed you poke it with a straw and you suck the juice out of it and then you eat the dumpling incredible but she had to teach me the processes for each of these foods and it was amazing how we all learned because I wasn't the only one that didn't know anything about these dumplings and we laughed and we drank and in the end they all took off in different directions and I was left there right in front of (laughs) Ghirardelli They dined and dashed this, on you. This, was, this had to be a $1,000. Oh, sure, for sure, the, sure. There were yeah. like 20 people there at the table, and the food just kept flowing, and it was really high quality food in a really great place. Uh, yeah. When I left there, I was full. I was happy. I had finished my project, and I got to watch the sunset uh, right in front of the Ghirardelli Chocolate Building overlooking a little body of water, and it was oh, delightful. Yeah. yeah. So that was, but it was a cool experience because I was going to say no. I was I just didn't I was exhausted I had just done a week in San Francisco with these good people you got work spent, to do you got it probably packed to go home I just wanted to go home and go to bed because yeah. I had spent the whole day with them and had drawn every ounce of creativity out of them that I could uh, and felt good about it but but then when I went I was oddly energized by both the food and the company it was it's good it reminds me that I have to say yes to things like that yeah yeah absolutely um, I did that this weekend actually I said yes to birthday dinner with my birthday friends i have a group of friends we call them the birthday gang just when we're referring to them from my house because every year around our birthdays it's, we're all virgos in september um we get together and we hang out and we usually go to a restaurant we eat we drink we laugh so loud that people want us to move because we're obnoxious but we love it because we love each other and this weekend i was having a crappy day i was having a a a depressed birthday. It wasn't because of the birthday, right? The birthday, no, it just depressed. happened to be was, yeah, a down I was day low and uh, I Didn't want to go out that night and we were invited to our friend's house we We're gonna safe distance in the house, but order mellow mushroom pizza and and hang out and I just made myself do it and I came home that day feeling a lot better than when I left my house that day because what I actually needed was my friends to infuse me with a little good juice. And sometimes I forget that they can do that when I'm trying to cocoon myself from them.
0: You're listening to A Certain Degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. I'm Nick Jurgetiou. That was Bob Codges and I discussing great meals through the lens of the people we eat them with. If you'd like to hear more short conversations like that, visit withbobandnick.com or search for Your Daily Dose with Bob and Nick wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for this episode. To find more conversations like these, visit toacertaindegree.com. That's T-O-A-CertainDegree.com. Thank you so much to my guests, Jim Inziello, Elliot Hillis, Zach Prusak, and Bob Codges. I have been Nick Jorgidio. I will more than likely continue to be Him. You are listening to WPRK 91.5 FM. Have a wonderful day.